Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. So we're in Acts chapter 8. We found that we ended in chapter 7 with Stephen being stoned. And Acts chapter 8 opens at the end of Acts 7 and beginning of Acts 8 opens with us introducing a person <laughs> that will become more important in uh, Acts chapter 9, but uh, Saul, who, who will later be known as Paul, uh, who is a writer of most of the New Testament. And so, as you see here, Acts chapter 8, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. And so it starts out in Acts chapter 8, kind of odd, because that's not how you really start out a chapter, but you have to remember that when they wrote these books, they weren't separated in chapters, and so whoever decided that this would be the stopping point, I think they erred. No, just kidding. <laughs> because this really should be the end of seven to me. It's like, oh, that should be the last sentence in seven, that now Paul was consenting to Stephen's death. So Saul, I'm sorry, Paul, I'm, I'm going to be back and forth Saul and Paul because it's his name. Uh, later on, we'll know him as Paul, but Saul was consenting, meaning that he was in agreement with putting Stephen to death. And this is going to be important. It's important now, but definitely be important later on uh, because we see the conversion of Saul into Paul. And it lets us know that no matter how horrible of a sinner you were, God can change you. His redemptive power knows no depths. You're not too far gone from Christ that he cannot reach you and bring you back. Because uh, someone would say, well, he was persecuting the church, the very church that he was persecuting. And not just persecuting, he was killing Christians. He was going in wreaking havoc in the lives of the Christians. Uh, and that would say, how in the world did this guy, now a proclaimer of the gospel and a writer of most of the New Testament, that just shows the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with Saul, had nothing to do with Paul, but really the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how that we can be transformed if we allow the power of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. So where you, whether you are a persecutor of the church, whether you didn't know the church at all, God can transform your life if we allow the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on us. And so looking at verse uh, chapter 8, uh, let's go down to verse 2. It says, devout men... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm going to go back to uh, verse 1 because it's important. Uh, Saul was consenting to this death, and at the time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. So this is good. This is, this is good stuff. I'm going to stop here. Um, <laughs> it is important to realize that the early church, even though their, their mission was to take the gospel to all the world, to the far ends of the earth, they were still in Jerusalem. And they were comfortable there. And who's to say how much longer they were going to be there? They might have been there for another couple of years. Uh, as you remember, a lot of people came in because of the, of the Pentecost, and a lot of people were coming together. And so the population of the Jerusalem had swelled, and the church had grown greatly uh, in their midst. And they were sharing the gospel, and they were providing, and they were setting up structure of the new church. 
And it was really good, and I'm sure everyone was excited, and there were no need to leave. They're like, we're good here. We're comfortable here. And what caused them to scatter? Persecution. And sometimes we have to press into what's uncomfortable to get us to move in the way that the Lord would have us to move. Because we wouldn't sometimes. We would stay right where we are. And the church was probably comfortable. And unfortunately, we can look at this as, man, the enemy uh, is attacking the church. And he was. And, but his attack was not what he thought. Because all he was doing was working into the hands and the plan of God and spreading the gospel of the, around. And, so, and eventually it went to Samaria. And we'll get to that later. So again, Saul was an important part of seeing the death of Stephen. And then it was also important that he heard, it was assumed that he heard Stephen's preaching at that time. And it said that that was was the beginning of the Holy Spirit possibly working on his heart. Um, He might have hardened it at that time because he was not nice in chapter 8 and ravishing and wreaking havoc on the church. Um, and so there was a time now in uh, verse 2, it says, Devout men carried Stephen into burial and made great lament, lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc. I said that this havoc is correlated to like a wild animal eating meat. Yeah, this was not nice. <laughs> Saul was there in the midst of it. And entering houses and dragging off men and women committing them to prison, and some of them were killed. And so Stephen being the first martyr, but he was not the last, because many people, a uh, church, uh, experienced a lot of persecution at that time. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now Philip, if you remember, in the beginning of chapter 6, was one of the seven who was chosen to feed the widows. So there were some widows in chapter 6 that we talked about, that felt like they were, uh, the Hellenistic widows felt like they were being mistreated uh, and weren't given the same portions as the uh, Hebrew widows. And so Stephen was one of those seven men of good reputation that came out and was set up in the church. And so he scattered. He's like, hey, there's a lot going on in Jerusalem now. Let me go to all places Samaria. And now we are very familiar with the people of Samaria, right? Uh, Jesus had an engagement with the woman at the well who was Samarian. And, uh, and they say that that's probably the first time that Jesus introduced himself to that uh, city. Uh, but the Jews did not have any dealings with the Samaritans. Um, and what, went, what was a 750-year uh, disagreement, <laughs> we went back 750 years. They did not like each other. There was no dealings with the Samarians. Philip, with all his power and all his uh, good graces, good grace that the Holy Spirit had in him, said, I'm going to the very people that we're not supposed to like, that we're supposed to dislike. And he went to preach the gospel to them. And so it says, let me go here, uh, five, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. So there's a multitude there. And they heard Philip, and they heeded that, hearing and seeing the miracles which he had done. For unclean spirit, for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. 
And there was great joy in the city. Great joy after the presentation of Christ. And so the three things I want to uh, just take a note of, there was great persecution, there was great lament, and then there's great joy uh, when the word is preached, or the gospel is presented. Isn't there always great joy? Shouldn't there always be great joy when Christ is in the midst? If we really see what he's done for us, there's always, there will always be joy. Um, there's a song that they sang that says, he never lets us down. And I was thinking, I said, well, you know, Lord, I've been disappointed before. I've been, I, felt I've been, I felt like I've been let down before. But even sometimes what may seem like, and I don't know all the answers, what may seem like a letdown at one point in my life, when I began to look at it, was really the Lord moving in my life in a great way. And so if you live long enough, <laughs> and I pray that you do, your disappointments will become glorious in God's sight because you will be able to look back and say, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? So the pitfalls and the valleys and all the bad or whatever that happened in my life, I realized God meant it for my good. The enemy meant it for my bad, but God definitely meant it for my good. But there was a certain man called Simon. So here there was great joy. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that some were some, uh, that he was someone great. Again, let me go back. Samaria people were, uh, the Jews didn't like the Samarians because they uh, mixed their religion. They had sorcery and they had some occult and they made a believe in a god or gods and they didn't like them. And then they were a mixed race, so they uh, intermarried. So the Samaritans married some other foreign people and uh, the Jews were more devout and uh, they said, no, we don't want to have anything to do with those people uh, because they believe in a lot of sorcery. And so there, here you have firsthand Philip is experiencing the sorcery in Samaria, the evil in that city. But that did not stop him from going. He did not allow that ism <laughs> to keep him from those people because he could have easily said, he could have easily chosen and thought about the dislike that his people have for the Samaritans said, uh, I'll go somewhere else. And how many times do we kind of pick and choose who we share the gospel with based off of our comfort and not by what the Lord is presenting, what, not what the Holy Spirit is leading, but based off of our own comfort. I'll choose these people to speak to because they look more like me or I can agree with them a little bit better. They're easier to witness to versus these people over here who I don't even like. We pick and choose the go- who the gospel is for. The gospel is for people who look like me, right? <laughs> so that's who I'm going to go to. No. The gospel is for everyone. We cannot play favorites <laughs> with the gospel. <laughs> we can't say, well, it's for these people and not these people, or these set of people are too far gone. And I think, again, we live in a society that we have shunned certain sects of society. Uh, we don't talk about it. We don't want to go there. But the gospel is for them. He came for the sick, the lost. He didn't come for <laughs> those who didn't need a physician. 
And so we need to be proclaiming his love, proclaiming his righteousness, proclaiming his holiness to those people as well. They need to hear the gospel. They may not like it, but they need to hear it. Uh, You don't know even someone would say, well, Saul (laughs) was persecuting the church, and there may be people, again, this is all, I think it is all a a message uh, tied together. Saul is, again, a great example of someone who would have said, we don't want to present the gospel to that guy because he's persecuting the church. But you don't know what might happen a month from now, a day from now, a week from now, a year from now, and what seed might you plant in someone's life that now they are ministers of the gospel, the very people that you threw away and said, there's no way they can be saved. There's no way they can receive redemption. Those very people can be now the more powerful people in the kingdom preaching to those people that they were once with. Now, I know y'all, it's, everyone's saving here and they don't, they all talk to everybody, right? Y'all witness to everyone. And again, Philip was an evangelizer and so he went out to preach the gospel to anyone. There was no, he didn't, that wasn't a concern of his. That there was this huge history with them. And again, this is also reminds me, um, if there's any unforgiveness, like maybe there's some family history, maybe there's baggage that requ- require you not to, to deal with someone. We have history, and we don't want to deal, I don't want to fool with that person. Who can forgive, who can mend that broken heart than Jesus? The Holy Spirit can change 750-year history of disagreements and one person, Philip, coming in and presenting Christ. Seven, if, if your issue isn't 750 years long, <laughs> then God can still redeem that relationship, that broken family relationship. Because if somebody had history, it was the Samaritans and the Jews. It's 750 years of bad blood. But Philip said, hey, we got Jesus. He can fix this, and he can and did. So Samaritans were there. Go. Let's see where we. Let's pick up in uh, twelve. It says, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and the women were baptized. Simon himself also believed. So this sorcery guy also believed and was baptized, and they were amazed at seeing the miracles and signs that were done. And so this guy Simon was amazed at seeing the miracles and signs that were done. And this reminded me, uh, uh, Clem said something last uh, Sunday, I think it was Sunday because met, we met Saturday as well, but how Jesus is the door uh, that you can enter in. Now, there may be other things that people do to enter in, but we, we are supposed to come by Jesus. And so there are people who have witchcraft, who have evil spirits, who are trying to replicate the power of God. And so they may be entering in and accessing things not by going through Jesus. And so this guy Simon might have been someone who showed some power. If you think about in the Old Testament, they, they were uh, wizards and people who were up against the people of God, and they did some similar signs as the people and children of God. But they weren't accessing God. They were accessing some evil spirit, emulating what God said. And Jesus said, 
No one comes to the Father but by him. So the right, right way to enter is by Jesus. You may try to access to some back window. I hope you don't get killed on that. <laughs> you probably should. But the right way to enter in is through Jesus. He's going to give you the power. The power is from him alone. And so Simon might have been one of those ones who was emulating the kingdom of God and the power of God by his own witchcraft and wizardry that he was doing. Uh, so verse 13, so now, the, now when the apostles who were in Jerusalem, so the apostles stayed back. So they, uh, and again, the persecution initially were to the apostles and the apostles alone, but now the persecution was for everyone, and so that's when everyone scattered. But the apostles decided to still stay in Jerusalem. They stayed there. And so when they heard about what was going on in Samaria, I bet they said, we got to see this. <laughs> what happened now? This 750-year history of bad blood. Now Philip is reporting that these people have received Christ. Let's go and see what's going on. And so Peter and John went. And in verse 15 they said, when they had come down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, and they laid hands for as yet had not fallen, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. Uh, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. This is good. Now, I'm not going to get into, there's a lot of debate around this, these passages of scriptures, and this is not what we're here for. Uh, we can do a Bible study only one day, or if you want to talk with me privately, we can discuss uh, why there was a delay in the Holy Spirit and these people versus most of the time at conversion, you receive the Holy Spirit. Um, some would say that they received the Holy Spirit, but then they were infilled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Because if you will see in verse 16 or 17, after they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit, that's when Simon saw through the land on or hands by the apostle that the Holy Spirit was given and offered them money. So there was obviously something that happened different when the apostles came versus when they were saved or initially accepted Christ by what Philip had given. Because Philip assumed, hey, I presented Christ, I believe they received, and I baptized them. So they're, they're fully Christians, right? But now the apostles come and lay hands on them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so obviously there was something there that got Simon's attention that wasn't there in the beginning. And Simon said, can I give you some money for this Holy Spirit? That's funny, right? Yeah, can you pay? <laughs> uh, and say, uh, hands and the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, this is verse 19, that anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wanted this, and he thought he could pay it, pay for it. But Peter then the great man of God he is, <laughs> uh, said to him, your money perish with you. And there's a translation of what that means, and it says, to Hades with you and your money. That's what Peter said. <laughs> That's what they translate. That's not my translation. That's what the Greek said. And in essence, he says, to Hades with you and your money, because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. It always comes back to the heart. 
always comes back to the heart. What Philip couldn't see and what the other Samaritans couldn't see and Simon Peter could see by the power of the Holy Spirit that his heart was not right. So therein lies the important issue that we must always have our hearts right before the Lord. It's not something you can just do. It's not a religious duty. It's not something that you can say, well, I come to church on Sunday and I cross dot, check that off and I give a little money here and there in my tithes and offerings sometimes and I come to Bible study every now and then and I pray uh, a couple times a week when I need something or when there's a hard issue going on and I check off all my religious boxes and say, you know, and we'll get old. Well, my grand, I got baptized when I was six at my grandma's church, and so I'm good to go. Uh, some of us would even say, well, my grandma was saved, and so that means by proxy I'm saved. That is not the Bible that I read. <laughs> There's nowhere in the Bible that says if your grandmother is saved, then therefore you are. No, that, that's not how that works. Um, I'm sorry if that was your theology, but that's not how it works. You have to have your heart right before the Lord. It's personal. And you might could fool other people. You might could even fool yourself into thinking everything is right and I can live my life privately one way, but in front of everyone else, they're thinking I'm a child of God and I look like I'm doing the right things. But God knows you can't fool the Holy Spirit. and He knows your heart. And just like this guy Simon thought he could get away with fooling the people around him, which he was, he couldn't. Peter came in with a different power, a different discernment and said, hey, no, what you, you can't buy this. And that means that your heart isn't right. And so he tells him in verse 22 what to do. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart might be forgiven. Repent, therefore, of this, your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see, in verse 23, that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Unforgiveness. <laughs> Sin in his life. Even, and I didn't see what, what the, um, it was a couple of days, so when the, Philip had presented Christ to the Samaritans and Simon, and they were baptized, it was probably several weeks or days that went by because uh, Peter and uh, John had to hear the message first, and the message had to get to them that Philip had uh, witnessed to the Samaritans, and now they are saved. And then when they decided, hey, we want to go see, it was probably a several days trip, if not longer, to get there by foot. Let's remember now, they didn't have email, and they weren't shooting emails off at one another, texting one another, and say, hey, I, I just witnessed to the Samaritans and they got saved and he responded right away. No, you're <laughs> even though it had as antiquated as our mail service is, it was much faster than them being able to transfer and uh, communicate back and forth with one another. So I'm sure that Simon thought I'm saved, but maybe in his heart he was still dabbling with some occult. Maybe he was doing some stuff on the side that no one th he thought no one would see. Maybe he was still doing some of his old stuff. Um, 
And the key to what he had to do, the only thing he had, the only thing he had to do uh, that uh, Paul, I mean Peter tells him to do, is to repent. Repent. But in 24, Simon does not clearly say that he's going to repent. What he says is, Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So I think Simon felt like he was unredeemable. Because he could have repented. He could have said, I repent right now. I don't want this to happen to me. What you said, I don't want those things to happen to me. I repent. I fall on my knees. I fall on my face. Please forgive me. But that's not what he said. He didn't even say that I pray these things. He asked Peter, would you pray that this would happen? I guess he felt like his prayers weren't going to reach God. I'm so far gone. I'm too deep in this. I'm not willing to let it go. Maybe it has such a hold on his life or a grip on his lifestyle that he had trouble releasing it. And so, please pray for me because I don't know if I can let this stuff go. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Here again, it does not say... What happened to Simon? We don't know what happened. Some would say that maybe he did later on repent. That's wishful thinking. I would love, to, that, love for that to have been the story. But then others may have said that that was the end. He went back to his old lifestyle. He was never a fame because now those people in Samaritan, Samaritan knew the truth. And Samaria knew the truth. And so he, he weren't going to be able to do the tricks and, and, and thaw the people and get them excited about him anymore. So maybe he just went about his way wondering what could have been still living that old lifestyle that he was refusing to let go. It's always tough, y'all. I know I'm, all, I'm not giving y'all exciting messages. <laughs> I'm just reading the word. I don't know. It's not... <laughs> So there's just uh, a couple things I want to point out, just uh, four or five points. I, mean, I, I, I skipped over a whole lot of things. Anyway, uh, some application. Persecution. Persecution brought about growth in the church. Genesis 50:20 says, But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order that he will bring about, as in this day, to save many people alive. So what the devil meant for bad, God meant it for my good. That's what we can get from this passage of scripture. That persecution, the uncomfortableness that you may feel at work, at home, it may be pressing you to do something different. Not necessarily to leave or scatter, but to change your lifestyle, to change your thinking, to change your heart, to do some internal cleaning up in your life uh, because you got too comfortable so many times we look at life and expect it to be comfortable for us, not realizing that God brings about some uncomfortability to make changes in your life so that you will make changes in your life. He wants you to be fed up, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And maybe eventually you will then make changes in your life. Maybe then you will start a habit of prayer and reading your word and really change your mindset to be more like him and less like you. <laughs> also, we can learn from this is the body of Christ has no isms. The gospel is for everyone. And so I challenge you, who is your Samaritan? Who do you dislike? Who do you fear to talk to when you see? And it could be, and it could be family. <laughs> it could be another person. It could be a group of people. Whatever that is, who is your Samaritan? And who is the Lord telling you now, hey, you need to go to those people? I want you to witness to them. They need you. You're surrounded by them. Your Samaritan may be your job, your workplace. I don't like any of these people around here. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, <laughs> I do. I like <laughs> I have a coworker here. I'm lying. I'm just joking. I like my, my job. <laughs> but you may say that. You may say, hey, I don't like this job, and these are my Samaritans. I, I need to now go and share the gospel with them. They need this Christ. This gospel that I've been keeping back for myself or not sharing out of fear or frustration or persecution, I now need to share it with them. Because it's important to remember, when Christ is preached, great joy is experienced. And it didn't even say that the Samaritans rebelled against Philip. They didn't, you know, they had a history too. They could have said, we don't like, of course they the flip side of that story is they didn't like the Jews either. We don't have, won't have anything to do with them. But they also received when Philip came. And they could have said, no, we don't want to hear that from you. You guys mistreated us and we don't like you. But I think the seed of even Jesus speaking to the woman at the well started to change their heart. Because they said, hey, she said, come see a man. And she brought the whole town to see Jesus. And maybe there, that was the start. Has a seed been planted in their lives? And so Philip was fulfilling what Jesus started. And it's interesting. I just I need to close. Um, <laughs> it's interesting to think that um, that even at the Jesus, this is Jesus. This is not an apostle. This is not one of the apostles. This is not a disciple. This is Jesus witnessing to the Samaritans. And it did not say that that city was changed. It didn't say that everyone that witnessed all Jesus in that city now accepted Christ and they were willing to change their lives. Jesus. And so Philip came back years later, now fulfilling what Jesus started. So if Jesus can plant seeds, how much more, or how important it is for you to plant seeds? Everyone's not going to bat a thousand. Everyone's not going to get saved at the first time you, you share the gospel with them. But you're planting seeds. God knows your heart. God knows your heart. And are you willing to repent and fully submit to his authority? God knows your heart. You can fool other people. Like, like I said, you might even fool yourself, but you can't fool God. He knows your heart, and are you really willing to submit to him? Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. 
Contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.